Apartments.com believes a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. You have to tell them who you just saw right before we started recording. I don't know if it's that crazy because I feel like a lot of people in the city have had this spotting before, but for me, this was like an absolutely wild one. I had a Bradley Cooper spotting today. Can you explain though the crossing the street and how it happened? Yeah, so on Greenwich Street, when you're crossing, the traffic feeds into the Holland Tunnel. And so sometimes it gets really backed up and it's bumper to bumper. And when the crosswalk sign changes to walking, you're kind of like weaving in between the traffic. And so we go to cross the street, bumper to bumper, weaving in between the cars. And all of a sudden in front of us, weaving in between the cars at the exact same time is Bradley Cooper. And we're like face to face navigating this little Holland Tunnel traffic together. It was like clean shaven, looked so good. He looked so normal for a second. I almost like doubted that it was him. And then I was like, no, that is like distinctly Bradley Cooper. My favorite thing is that when you were describing it to me, you were saying how the three of you were kind of like single file because you couldn't all walk side by side. And so you all three noticed it separately and like kept turning around to the other one being like, holy shit, did you see that? <laughs> he definitely saw me look at him and just go like full jaw drop. It's That's a jaw dropping one though. To me, Bradley Cooper's in the category of like, wow, you are really famous. My last couple celeb spottings have all been jaw dropping ones for me. No, you've had a really, really good run. I'm still holding on to my Bruce Willis one from like a year and a half ago. Emma waved him like she knew him. Like he was crossing the street and she went, oh, hi. And I was like, who'd you just wave to? And she was like, Bruce Willis. But like, he doesn't know me. Like we laughed about that for probably two weeks after. Oh, hey. The other day we're walking in the city and I see Emma do that again where she goes, oh, hey. And I turn to look who she's waving to. And all of a sudden I see a a bus with a Skims ad on it drive by. And I was like, did you just do that to the bus. And she was like, oh my God, I think I did. I was like, you (laughs) waved at that Skims ad like it was an old friend. Like it was Bruce Willis. (laughs) I said, you just Bruce Willis that bus. (laughs) I have just really personified Skims in in an almost unhealthy way. It's like, I see it and I feel like I'm recognizing a friend. I mean, listen, you like probably at this point should own a significant chunk of stock in it based on how much you've spent. You know, I got to tell you, Kanye's gone on this whole thing about how he's pissed about his percentage. I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't even have one and I probably should at this point. So I don't want to hear it from you. Yeah. yeah. You don't even have 1% of skims. Try telling me that Jews actually control everything. Oh, you want to get into this? Because it's all I want to talk about. Like, I cannot stop thinking about it, talking about it. Like, everyone has texted me about it. And then at the same time, I'm like, I do not want to talk about this literally at all. 
for even one second. Do you feel that way too? Yeah, com- completely. I mean, actually, let me rephrase to, to speak totally transparently. I want to talk about it constantly with you off the podcast. I, for some reason, and this doesn't really happen with other topics, but because this to me feels so sensitive, it's I, I get nervous because I, I'm so upset about it. And I, I want to make sure to, one, convey the point in the way that I mean, but also it, it feels entirely counterintuitive to even discuss it because I feel at times even talking about it is like, kind of amplifying what he's saying, which is the last thing that I want to do. I want to be really clear in condemning it, but it just gets very messy. And I, this is when, honestly, as, as a Jewish person, I feel the responsibility to say something about, about this. Oh, absolutely. Because the thing that I was also going to say is there hits a point with the Kanye stuff where talking about it almost validates it, like to give it the attention and the airtime. It's like, oh my God, it's like, I'm actually listening and processing and paying attention to the things that are coming out of your mouth when the thing I want to do the most is just continue to ignore it and tell everybody to ignore it. And then it's like, he starts spewing just like such hateful things, wearing the White Lives Matter shirt, talking about just anti-Semitic tropes, uh, uh, literally a call for like Death Con 3 to the Jews, as if that's not the craziest thing somebody could put in writing and post on Twitter. And then it's like, yeah, of course there's a responsibility. But at the same time, I still don't want to give it the validation of airtime. It's it's a very hard you know position to be put in, I feel like, when talking about it. It totally is. I mean, I was saying that to you today also when uh, we got a DM from someone before we had posted anything about it saying like, you know, I I really can't believe you haven't said a word. And it's like, I totally understand everybody's frustration with it coming from a different angle. But honestly, for me, and I'm not going as far as to say like traumatized because that's not how I felt. But when I woke up to seeing that tweet about Death Con 3 to the Jews, you know, and I've said this to you before, like I do feel really connected to the fact that my dad's mom was a Holocaust survivor. She was taken by the Nazis on the night of Kristallnacht. I've told that story on the podcast before. And it's just crazy. I see that tweet and I I think back to my grandma, my whole life always saying to me in her very thick Austrian accent, like, don't think it can't happen again because it can. And not to at all validate Kanye's words in that way, but I would be lying to you if I said for a second, I, a chill doesn't go down my spine. So then that's why I was getting so frustrated and we're getting that DMs. It's like, give people a moment to process, you know? No, it's, it's a lot. And you know what? The thing with it too, is that I think there's this thing that happens when it does come to, and we've spoken about this when we've, you know, done this in the past, there was the incident with Nick Cannon. There's been other incidences but there is a thing that happens specifically with anti-Semitism when these sort of things happen very publicly and it feels like no one is speaking out against it. And I think that's something with the Kanye anti-Semitic trope specifically is that a lot of people don't automatically know how to recognize that that's what's happening. And of course, when you see a tweet like Death Con 3 to the Jews, Okay, then it's like, that is straight up anti-Semitism. Like, there is no denying that. But this had been going on for a couple of days prior. He was spreading anti-Semitic tropes when he was on Tucker Carlson. He was posting things about Jews controlling Diddy. These all play into the same sort of trope that I don't think people often know how to spot and call out specifically, or they don't know to call it out because they don't know the history behind those tropes and what they mean. 
Well, that's why in a very convoluted way, because obviously if I had my choice, he would never have tweeted that. And this is not something that he would ever spew, but it's almost more frustrating when he does it in a kind of dog whistle way, because then you find yourself trying to explain to people why this is an issue and people really hiding behind the fact of like, well, he didn't explicitly say it. So it's almost like as much as you're so mad and angry and scared that he would post something like this, there's a very small percentage of it that's slightly validating. So it's like, see, this is what we've been trying to fucking tell you. You know what I mean? No, totally. And I think there's also something that happens with Kanye when you're trying to make sense of the things that he posts, especially when he goes on these Instagram rampages where it's like, oh my God, this guy's not making any sense. And so when you already are looking at his post trying to decode them and he's throwing in coded language about Jews and anti-Semitic dog whistles that you may not be familiar with. It's really easy when it's not being explicitly called out to just be like, well, it's just more nonsense. Exactly. And I do want to acknowledge that there were Instagram and Twitter ramifications. He was suspended from both platforms. Instagram first, after he had posted some of the screenshots from his conversation with Diddy, and then Twitter when he explicitly said DEFCON 3 to the Jewish people. But really, most of this took place on Instagram. And it was, you know, constant posting, deleting at times, let's say 10 posts in a row, and then it would kind of be silent for a little bit. And we decided we're not going to do a full breakdown. It, It feels really unnecessary to kind of devote any attention to his hateful rhetoric, whether it's anti-Semitism or otherwise. But in order to kind of paint a picture, we basically just made a list of some of the main people that he was attacking and how that fits into his life, both currently and then also previously. So it all really kind of started when he came after Gabriella Karifa Johnson, who's Vogue's global fashion editor at large. And she was at the Easy Show. She spoke out against the White Lives Matter shirts. And of course, Kanye cannot take any sort of criticism and really came at her. So people came to her defense in a very, very big way. And one of those people was Tremaine Emery. So Tremaine is the creative director of Supreme, but he also served as a creative consultant and brand director for Kanye from 2016 to 2018. So he had posted defending Gabby and in the post also alluded to Kanye's friendship with Virgil Abloh, who's of course now passed away, and kind of made reference to Kanye doing Virgil wrong in a lot of ways, which is then something that has continued to come out in the last week or so as all of this has kind of unfolded. So of course, then Kanye directly came for Tremaine. He also came for Diddy posting all of his screenshots, Justin and Haley, because Haley spoke out in support of Gabriella, same with Gigi. What he did with Haley is he posted a screenshot of an article from 2016 about Drake and Haley possibly dating. It was Drake wearing her H necklace. And you know he captioned something like, Justin, get your girl which neither of them have spoken out about it publicly, but apparently they were both really hurt, especially because Kanye and Justin have been close. I mean, they went out to Wyoming to visit him in 2020 when he was really going through it. So you can imagine, I'm sure, how, how thrown he felt by all this. But it was really just Kanye coming for a lot of different people. Obviously, we posted that Chloe comment where she was basically pleading with him to stop publicly attacking the family and and just deflecting all of the negativity to them. So... I struggle with it. It's like I, I, there's a part of me that wants to talk about it because it is so upsetting. But at the same time, I think devoting attention to it is like inherently wrong and unproductive. You know, it's funny, like as you go through every single person on this list where it's like, I hear Kanye's name now and I just like get filled with such anger. But as you're going through this list of people, it's like, I still feel bad for him. Like you have just went through a list of people that were so close to him, that were so important to him and he burned every bridge. Like he he can't help himself. You're watching somebody who just 
continues to be so self-destructive and it's so sad. It's, it still is so sad to me that that's the case. No, it is really sad. And every time we've discussed this, we have continually said, of course, the mental health aspect cannot be ignored in the discussion, but it's, it's relevant, but it's not an excuse. Exactly. It's not an excuse. I just think, of course, that element has to come into play when you're discussing it. And there's a certain level of sensitivity that needs to be accounted for. But I also think that it has the potential to be stigmatizing to people that are also diagnosed with bipolar disorder to blame all of his hatefulness on that, because that's just not the case. Like, if you ask me honestly, I think that Kanye is a narcissistic kind of hateful guy that also struggles with bipolar disorder and hasn't been able to find it in himself to get the help that he both needs and deserves. And and it's obviously sad for him, for his family, for everyone. But I just think there's a real responsibility to not conflate it in a way that actually does more of a disservice to people that are struggling with their mental health. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing, which like, I I really, I, I don't want to talk about this anymore, but this is the final thought on this. You know, you see, you see all this stuff going on, and then what? Two days later, it's Kim sitting right in front of him at North's basketball game, and he's there wearing the White Lives Matter shirt, right? And according to the reports from Onlooker, she didn't even look at him. They had no conversation. They they were not talking. But it's like, I just I feel for her in such a deep way because it's still the father of her children, and I know she has to put on a brave face in front of the kids. But at a certain point, continuing to support him can be taken as like standing by what he's doing and what he's saying, which is just not the case. Like it's it's a terrible spot to be in. Kim's in a no-win situation here. I really, really feel for her. It's 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 a really, really tough position. And you know, a part of dealing with Kanye and and getting through this and uh being there for her kids involves like not caring what it seems like to the public. But then also she still kind of has a certain responsibility to the public, but her responsibility is to the kids first. And it's hard to co-parent with him at this time. And yeah, it, it's, I, I think about the position that she's in and I'm just, it, it, it makes me anxious to think about. Oh no, it's not a position that I envy. And I, I have to imagine just how draining this is constantly for her because keep in mind, this is just the stuff that we're seeing. Can you imagine what's happening behind the scenes? No. Uh-uh. Which like, by the way, the, the most, like, let's take out all of the more s- serious stuff. If you talk about the most trivial or the most, quote, salacious thing that he said is maybe when he's talking about, you know, I know the whole world knows that I've always had a crush on Stoss, talking about getting Stoss and Victoria and Carter, who are all of Kylie's friends, for anyone unfamiliar, into the Balenciaga show. And it's like, no, the whole world actually didn't know that. And how mortified is Kim that you're publicly talking about having a crush on her younger sister's best friend. There's just some things you don't do. Yeah. I mean, I could not believe that one when I saw it. That was fucking wild. He's saying it like, yeah, the whole world knows. Actually, no one had any idea. That was the first time we were ever hearing of that. As far as I was concerned, you didn't even know Stas. I was just going to say, as far as I viewed the situation, Stas was like, oh, that one of Kylie's friends. Like, I had no idea that Kanye even knew Stas by name. Right. Like, of course they had hung out, but I just, it's just really, it's a very unfortunate situation and I don't want to talk about it anymore. And I don't even know if we'll listen back to this and decide what we want to do with it. But I just want to make it clear. We do not, of course, condone anything that he says. And for anybody that was upset for a variety of different reasons, just want to say that you are are heard. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So Mother's Day is coming up, and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and... Every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Okay, so there's a new update in the Tom and Giselle divorce saga, which to be totally honest, I can't really tell if people care about it or not. It seems to be very split. Are you having that same experience? Yeah, and I actually like feel split within myself because sometimes I'm like, I've never cared about Tom Brady a day in my life. And now all of a sudden I'm like a little bit invested. Well, it's either like some of my friends could not care less. And then I have my ex-boyfriend <laughs> FaceTiming me being like, what's the deal? Guys care a lot. Guys care so much. It is unbelievable for for two reasons. One, because a large portion of men idolize Tom Brady. And then at the same time, they're completely enthused by the idea of Giselle being single, even if there's a 0% chance of them ever getting with her. You want to know what it is? It's more than that. Guys love celebrity drama but they don't fully allow themselves to like immerse in it. And then when it's something like a Tom Brady, where it's like, obviously I care about Tom Brady, it allows them to like immerse themselves in the salacious side of it. And like, this gives them that permission. Well, right, because they're viewing it as sports. Right, when it's not, it's not sports. This has nothing to do with sports. The only sports element at play is that it's kind of the background character of the divorce in the sense of like Tom Brady chose, you know, 
kind of football over family in this instance, which is the way it's kind of being presented to the public. And it's just like, it's funny listening to guys talk about it because like if Tom Brady loses or he doesn't do something great in a game, they're like, wow, he of his family to lose that game. Like it's all centered around that now. It's like very funny to hear them talk about it. So the new update is that apparently they have each hired divorce attorneys and they're exploring their options regarding the marriage. That's according to CNN. And then this also came out. Apparently, a source told Page Six that Giselle had consulted a divorce lawyer in 2015 following a secret split with Tom. The source said, quote, Tom and Giselle have separated before. Every couple of years, they have a big fight and she's left Tom before, but she always comes back. They always work through things and Tom was hopeful they would do it again this time. Sources added that the last time the glossy couple had a big blowout is believed to be two years ago. Also, according to TMZ, sources said that she's threatened to divorce him several times over a period of years and was all about his football career. Wait, you know what I just realized? What? We never read those comments. Oh my God, you're right. Wait. This is crazy, or at least I thought it was crazy at the time. Okay, so a few weeks ago, and this was all much newer and it was kind of first coming out, Entertainment Tonight had posted on Instagram and the caption was, Giselle's addressing her marriage to Tom Brady amid reports of relationship troubles between the two. She explained in a new interview that she's done her part in being there for him and reveals that while she's asked him to be, quote, more present, she understands that he, quote, needs to follow his joy too. Everything she had to say, the link in bio. So we look at that and... I see some of the top comments. One of them is, she's tired of being a single parent in marriage. He promised he would retire and it didn't happen. And I look just for the hell of it and she liked the comment and I scroll through and like there were a few comments very similar to that of basically saying, you know, she didn't sign up to be a single parent and she liked them, which I know doesn't mean anything. That tracks exactly with what all of the reports are saying, but it just felt very intentional that Giselle was going to the Entertainment Tonight comment section to purposely like, you know, these random fan comments. And I remember we were like, what do we do with this? You know, we weren't going to post it on our story. It wasn't an actual comment, but it just felt like she was really co-signing that message. No, she clearly was. And it clearly was validating for her to see because had she gone to the ESPN comment section, for example, it wouldn't have been, you know, in support of her. It would have been in support of Tom Brady and saying probably something along the lines of, she needs to support his career and he's the greatest of all time. And of course he's going to play in things that did not back up her feelings. And so for her to go to the entertainment tonight section, see all these people kind of writing in support of her. I don't think that it was like a major statement in terms of liking these comments. I think it was very subtle, but she almost couldn't help herself. That is exactly how I took it. It was like, I'm going to like this because yes, this feels so validating, but also Giselle's been at this game for a very long time. She knows that any little thing she does may get picked up. I actually don't even know if this ended up getting picked up, but the idea that it could and that she would publicly be co-signing this is definitely something I'm sure she considered and decided that she was okay with and maybe even wanted. That's what I think too. It's funny, like I'm not a big Tom Brady fan, but I've always kind of felt like being a family man and being married centered him a little. And so I'm curious if they really do get divorced and it like really goes through what that looks for like for Tom Brady as a celebrity and as a person, especially if this ends up being his last year playing football. It will be very interesting to see the way it plays out. I mean, initially, when we were first talking about this, I think we both said, you know, we'd be really surprised if this ended in divorce. And now I'm thinking, like, was our read totally off? Because from everything we're hearing, it sounds like the likely ending is divorce. I, I, I can't lie, though, and say that it's not still kind of shocking to me. I just really did not see that coming. I thought that 
it would suck and it would maybe be a rough patch, but they were going to work through it. And it's seeming like maybe that's not the case. I've never paid that close attention to them. So when I was reading these page six and TMZ articles and it was saying about how, you know, it's kind of very under wraps, but you know, they have had divorce lawyers in the past and they have had separations in the past and they have had these big blowout fights. I personally was surprised to hear that. And then I was looking through the timeline and one of the things that had happened was there was already, you know, existing breakup rumors that happened a couple of years ago after like a, a Super Bowl with like the deflate gate thing. And I was like, oh, I do vaguely remember that. So I guess with that knowledge, it doesn't surprise me that there's been other things in the past. But I think that my initial reaction to hearing that they were potentially going to split this time around was such an isolated incident in my mind that I was like, there's no way they'll actually go through with it. And now that I kind of have that knowledge of like, you know, this really isn't the first time that there's been like, quote, trouble in paradise. I think, you know, maybe this is the final straw. Maybe the fact that it's out to the public and it really is something that they're not trying to keep tightly under wraps means that it really is over for them or as close to over as it's ever been. Well, right. There's definitely something to be said for the fact that this does not feel nearly as secret as I think one would have anticipated, which also I know a lot of people now that this is happening, bring up their initial meeting because they met in 2006. I guess they met through mutual friends. They began dating. And then in 2007, just a few months after news had broke that Tom was expecting a child with his ex-girlfriend, Bridget Moynihan. So they had dated from 2004 to 2006. They break up he meets Giselle and then news breaks that Bridget is pregnant. So, you know, there's a lot of conversations now coming into play like, well, it was never uh, totally kosher from the start, which like, I understand how you can arrive at that thought process, but I think what were so many years past that, that to me, that that no longer factors. And I just think it's an easy pile on if you're already starting to kind of come at the relationship. You know what I mean? I think so too. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify Eye Drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you, and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends. So I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. Then the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. 
Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T H E O U A I dot com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T H E O U A I dot com promo code CELEBS. In other relationship news, just to follow up on the whole Adam Levine, Beati Prinsloo thing, it's interesting because for a few days there, this felt like the absolute biggest news story. It was everywhere. I mean, we recorded the podcast late because we felt we had to cover all of the details. And then the way that they've been handling it together, and I guess the way that they've been portraying their relationship to the public has totally kind of diffused the situation because they're seemingly in great spirits together. She's supporting him publicly at his concerts. He was just playing in Vegas at Shaq's foundation and she was backstage with him. So it it almost feels like the public is taking the stance of like, well, if she's not mad, how can we be? Like That's almost the vibe that I'm kind of getting. And I wonder is this actually happening? Are they really totally fine? And maybe this was an arrangement that they were fine with, or are they working on things behind the scenes, but they know that the best way to diffuse it is if they appear as a united front? I was going to say, I've never seen such a united front after a cheating scandal. And also this wasn't just any cheating scandal. This was like very specific. Attempting to name your baby after the woman you're having an affair with or had an affair with is like such a specific type of cheating that I couldn't imagine a scenario in which she got over it right away. I could imagine a scenario in which they kind of work things out. They presented a united front because they're having a baby and eventually they got to that point. I did not foresee any scenario in which they were just out in the public as if nothing ever happened. Well, that's exactly it because a lot of people are now saying, you know, they had an open relationship. They had an agreement. She was never upset about the affair with Sumner because it wasn't really an affair. He was allowed to do his thing. She was allowed to do her thing. So to me, it's like, I can fully get that. I I very much respect that people have a lot of different arrangements and understandings of relationships and monogamy isn't for everyone. That's not the thing. To me, it's like, no matter what kind of relationship you're in, I still think messaging the woman that you were also engaged with, whether it was an affair or not, permission to name the child after her. I I just can't imagine that that was in the terms and agreements, but (laughs) maybe we're the fucking crazy ones. I mean, first of all, we are definitely not the crazy ones, but I was just thinking like, imagine this fucking curveball. She's fully aware of the affair. It almost plays into their marriage. Like maybe they have, maybe it's more than an agreement. Like maybe she's kind of into it. And so it's something that they share and talk about. And imagine a scenario in which he actually came to Beati first and was like, I like this name, except, and then they were like, well, why don't we just ask if it would be weird? Could you fucking imagine if that's actually how it went down? And that's really why they're able to put on the front that they're able to put on. And it's not a front. It's just like, is them continuing with their lives. <laughs> that would be one of the wildest things ever. And what idiots would all of us look like? And then they do a 60 minute sit down interview. And she's like, you know, I felt really bad when Adam was kind of getting canceled because I was the one that said to him, well, why don't you just DM her? It's the courteous thing to do. I promise you there's no scenario in which that comes out. Like that could exactly come out. And I promise you, I won't feel stupid. I will still oh feel God. exactly as rooted in my opinion of that situation as I was when it first came out and the DM was first leaked, the only thing it would do would be to help me understand the way that they're acting in the public and towards each other in the public eye. It would not clarify anything for me in terms of the DMs being leaked and the way that I feel about that situation. You do have to say that it is almost miraculous the way that this went from the biggest story to really crickets. I mean, 
I, it's, I can't, I can't get over it. I, I really didn't think that it would be this sharp of a drop so quickly. Here's my thing. Like it, what I'm really thinking about it logically, because the idea that they're both in cahoots about the name was just not logical to me. What I have to imagine the logical thing is, is like, she is upset and she is understandably upset, but she also knows like, I'm not leaving him. I'm not going anywhere. Like we're going to make this work. And I would rather almost present a united front right off the bat and show my support of him immediately and show that this marriage isn't going anywhere. Then like take time, have a breakup, have a separation and then take him back. And almost that makes her look potentially, I don't want to say more foolish, but maybe like from her point of view, more foolish. That's the only thing I can imagine, but I have to have to, for the sake of like wrapping my head around this situation, assume that behind closed doors, there are, there's at least one blow up argument that took place. Yes. And to me, this entirely falls into the conversation we constantly have with celebrity couples where it's like, if they decided they are 100% staying together and she made the decision, I am not leaving him. We're going to work through this. Yes, of course, there's something to be said for wanting to you know, look a certain way to the media and to the public, but also... I think, you know, she has to think about it in terms of him as a celebrity and his ability to make money. Meaning, I, I of course, understand that a Maroon 5 residency is not going to be canceled over a cheating scandal. I don't think that that happens nowadays. It's going to take a lot more than that. But, you know, if people have a really bad taste in their mouth about Adam Levine, maybe they're less likely to want to go to a show. Maybe they're less likely to engage with him in the way that they would previously. And if she knows I'm staying with this guy, she wants him to be his most successful because that only benefits her. Of course, I know she makes her own money, but that's just like a logical thought process that I do think factors into play so much when you're talking about uh, an entertainment couple. I think that's an amazing point. I think you're 100% correct. I'm trying to think, and this is an unfair question to ask you because it's putting you two on the spot. So I'll ask it kind of as, a general question to the audience and they can DM. Can you think of anybody that has presented such a united front after a cheating scandal this big? Not even this big, but maybe this public. And so quickly after. Yeah, I know it exists. It's just off the top of my head, I can't. But I know it exists. It's gotta, right? <gasps> you wanna know who is the... I, I was thinking of it and I was like, who the fuck is it? And then it just came to me. Dominic West... Do you remember when Dominic West was spotted? Oh my God. Kissing Lily James. And the next day, him and his wife put out a united statement, like a joint statement together. What a call, Em. What a call. Have we seen them since? I don't know, but now I have to look it up to remember what exactly the note said. One second, one second. Yeah, they put a note out to the reporters. Oh my God. Okay. One day later, Wes and Fitzgerald put on a united front posing and kissing for photographers outside their England home. Quote, our marriage is strong and we're very much still together. The duo wrote in a note that they handed to reporters at the time. Thank you. That was crazy. Oh my God. I can, I, I can believe that you remembered that, I guess, because like it was such a wild event, but I cannot believe that you just remembered that. The paparazzi photos are like ingrained in my brain. Yeah, that was wild. I don't that know. I mean, this is going to be really... <laughs> Thank you. It's going to be interesting to see that, to see what happens here because currently it seems like 100% they're staying together and this is very much smooth sailing. You know when this is going to get brought back up? When they have the baby and they name it and everyone's like, oh, we, we, we kind of thought it was going to be Sumner still. Imagine they still name it Sumner. That, that comment section is going to be wild. I'm sure when they post it, they'll probably turn off comments. Imagine having to explain to your kid one day when they're like, why are the comment section off on my post? <laughs> 
I don't know how to tell you this. <laughs> show just they just show them the TikTok. Oh my god, being a celebrity kid must be wild. Wild. That's how I was feeling with, you know, this isn't news. Like there's really nothing to to say here in terms of breaking news, but I do kind of want to just spend one minute on Landon and Charlie because this whole thing is is wild. Like you just said celebrity kid and it made me think of it. Obviously, as you guys know, Travis Barker has a son, Landon Barker. He just turned 19 and he recently started dating Charlie D'Amelio, one of the most followed people on TikTok. And because of that, you know, she's become very seemingly close to the family. Courtney's commenting on her Instagram. She's at all the events. I mean, she's in. And I just, I I just, there's something about Charlie where it's like, I fully get how famous she is and how much she has become a very legitimate celebrity. But I think because we followed her rise so closely, I still associate her as this like very normal girl from Connecticut that it's like, I I just can't believe this has become her life. I, I don't, think that the Landon thing was strategic. I genuinely think that it just worked and they ran in the same circle and she reached out to him or slid into his DMs, as she said, and they started dating. But it's it's almost like it could not have been a better scenario for her to walk into if you're trying to build your fame in the way that she is. No, I can't get over it. The way that this has played out is just, it's perfect. It's almost so good that it, it can't be like a PR move because it's like too good to be true. If I am her manager, I'm saying to myself, wow. We couldn't have written this shit. No, I mean, it's unbelievable. I was just looking at the Landon birthday content today and there was something, which is such a weird thing to say, but about Kim posting for him, which is like, yeah, of course, that's like her stepnephew now. That's like her nephew. Like, you know, once you're in, you're in. There's there's no distinction there. And it's just still crazy to me where I was like, I feel like we've been following both Landon and Alabama for a minute there on primarily TikTok because they really had their own presence. But I feel like we were following them as the kids of Courtney's new boyfriend, almost forgetting that, you know, they've been involved with the family for a while. They really are their own people, their own celebrity. And we've seen them appear on the show before. Like this connection between the families has always been there. And I think that following Landon and Alabama as their own people, almost to get a glimpse into the relationship between Travis and Courtney in the beginning, I think I forgot at some point to connect the dots between the relationship with them and the rest of the family. So when I see Kim posting for Landon's birthday, it's almost like, oh my God, where did Landon Barker come from that Kim is posting for his birthday? But when you think back on it, this whole thing, it it makes so much sense. It just still feels really crazy. It makes total sense. And also the fact that they have been family friends for so many years and they live right next to each other and they were always at each other's houses. And I'm sure the Barkers were at a lot of the Kardashian events. But I just ask myself the question constantly of like, do celebrity kids still think it's cool? You know, like, is there any part of Landon Barker that thinks it's cool that Kim Kardashian is posting happy birthday to him or no, because his dad's Travis Barker, his stepmom's Kourtney Kardashian. What about that is cool? That's just his life. And like, I, I do just wonder that, which maybe sounds like a very stupid question because yeah, to them it's, it is just their life. But I, I I'm so curious about that. I, I think there's a part of them that still thinks it's kind of cool. Like, yes, you may be very much involved in the scene and, almost desensitized to it, but it's not like you're entirely unaware. I don't know. It's a very, very interesting concept. And I would love to watch a documentary that solely interviews celebrity children of very, very famous people. 
with like really, really, really specific questions. Like I, mm-hmm. I feel like when we talk to celebrity kids about having celebrity parents, it's always about like what it was like to have parents or like grow up in the industry. Like I want like very pointed, specific questions about like day to day. What do your friends think? What do you think? What about this situation? Like a million questions that no one who's interviewing the child of a very famous celebrity would ever think to ask. Not even would think to ask because I'm sure they are thinking it, but probably would feel like it's off limits. Whereas in my dream world of this documentary, it's framed as like, here are the questions that they've never been asked before. So they're they're going in prepped and the people that are there are there because they're down to go there, you know? Exactly. A girl can dream, huh? A girl can absolutely dream, yes. <laughs> That's kind of all we had on the agenda for today. There's not a hell of a lot going on, but we're going to cut to a segment of Isabel and I discussing the Southern Charm reunion part one because we didn't get a chance to do that last week. The recap was focused on Beverly Hills and Salt Lake City. So we'll cut to that. We'll be back on Thursday with Kardashians, Friday with Bravo. Is there anything else that you want to mention? I think that's it. Okay. Well, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening and for letting us do this. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or a skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college, I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, you want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which in my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences, and it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation and it's convenient. So desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. This was one hell of a part one reunion, no? 
it was incredible. I think it was way more interesting than most episodes we've gotten this season. And there is just something about a Southern Charm reunion. I know we say it all the time, but the dynamic is different. Andy is different. There's a certain energy in the air. And I personally think the cast just really thrive in this environment. Yeah, I mean, I know we talk about all the time how Andy's different with Summer House or with Southern Charm because it's a younger vibe and he's so into it. But the other thing that I was really picking up on with this specific part one is that the cast has a real ability to ask each other questions. Whereas when the housewives do it, it feels, I don't know, just a little less authentic. Whereas this, you know, Craig's genuinely saying, are you guys friends? Cause I was picking up on a weird vibe. It's like, you can see that they really are friends and they're much more tuned into each other's lives than I think a lot of the other cast members on other shows. Oh, totally. I think at housewives reunions, it usually feels like every woman for themselves But here it's like they're experiencing and actually hanging out together and they know things that they hear around town in a different way. And I just thought I was having the best time watching this. I got to be honest, Madison LaCroix showed up for work. Like she was in maybe one or two episodes the whole season. I felt like we had not seen her at all. And she just took this reunion as her opportunity to make up for lost time. And and her and Austin going back and forth was cracking me up. Like seeing them in this way was so funny because think about it compared to the last reunion where they were at each other's throats and now they're like funny civil exes that are joking around. The whole thing was wild. I mean, Madison is just so deeply mean. Like mm-hmm. I genuinely don't think she's the best person, but she makes for such good TV. And to be honest, if I'm Olivia... I think Madison did me a favor because I think this is the best Olivia has looked the entire season. One can make the argument she looked a little weak at times, but to me, I felt like she was unwilling to go down to Madison's level. Right. No, Madison is like the ultimate mean girl villain. She's just so good at it. She, I know. I mean, it was kind of strange to see how all of a sudden, not to say she's taking Austin's side, but she's strangely defending him and it doesn't feel like she's doing everything to kind of drag him down. And so I get why if I'm Olivia, I'm like, wait a second. I spent this entire season basically putting up with you not even being able to be in the same room as her. And now I'm the one on the outs. Like it yeah. was a, a sh- dynamic shift, but that just goes to show you that Madison at her core wants to do whatever the thing is going to make the situation the most most painful. And in this moment, siding with Austin was going to cause the most pain. Like she's just, she's born for it. Madison just absolutely thrives on pushing people's buttons and going as low as possible to get a rise out of them. Yeah. Wait, also, I can't believe it's taken us this long. We have to talk about Taylor and Shep. Wait, this was absolutely wild. This is like what I wanted. I didn't think we were going to get. First of all, this is the quietest we've seen Shep maybe ever. But second of all, I don't know how you experience watching this. For me, obviously I was glued to the television, but I was really split because on one hand I was like, yes, Taylor, I love that you're saying everything that you're feeling, get him. At the same time though, I was like, don't even give him that. you know. But it's like, she is genuinely upset and she should be able to voice that. But there's also the side of me that's like, this has always been him, you know? And and it's painful, I think, for her that she's just now realizing, you know, I never was going to change him. It's like, oh, I fell for her so deeply, but at the same time, I wanted to be like, he is not worth this pain. But you can't control your emotions. It was just so clear to me watching how they interacted, just how fresh the breakup was when they filmed this reunion. I mean, the wounds were not even beginning to heal. And I think sitting there with your ex and also with a whole group of people who's very involved in your business and then also cameras and the world and getting grilled with these questions. I cannot imagine what that must feel like. I mean, 
maybe it was a little therapeutic, but I don't know. It's like just not the ideal scenario. And I think for Taylor, she really in her heart of hearts believed that she was the one and she could and would change him and that Shep was a different person and Taylor was the only one that he would make the sacrifice for. Maybe he was the type to settle down. And there's definitely like a layer of almost embarrassment that here we are where everybody said that you guys would end up. Yeah, you can tell she's embarrassed and it's unfortunate because it's like, obviously you don't want her to be embarrassed. She didn't do anything wrong. But of course that's a natural emotion that she's experiencing. I mean, for me, the thing that I was getting the biggest kick out of was watching everyone else's face as she was going on that rant. Like that was really, really something to witness because it, it was them all saying, yeah, <laughs> we second everything you're saying. But also I think they had this collective moment of like, we can't believe it's taken you this long to get here because this is what we've kind of been saying and been feeling. But honestly, one of my biggest takeaways is the depth of the connection between Austin and Taylor. Why aren't they dating? Like, is that a crazy thought? No, I don't think it's crazy. I don't think it would go over well. And I think Austin would feel like this bro code with Shep because it's not just someone he like fooled around with or was hooking up with. Like they were in a long committed relationship. Committed, I say with air quotes. And like, I, I just don't know how you cross that boundary. But then I also think like, well, what if they're soulmates? Yeah, I don't know if we're just being kind of dramatic because it's rare that we see Austin care about a woman in the way that he's cared about Taylor, even if it's just a platonic connection. But there's just something about this side that she brings out of him that I think is his most likable side. And maybe that's what we're being drawn to. Mm. When I think about it more realistically, I'm like, yeah, it's probably pretty unlikely for both of their sakes. Like, I don't think Taylor would want to do that to Shep. And I don't think Austin would want to do that to Shep. But I don't think it's the craziest thought, let's say hypothetically three years down the line, once the Shep and Taylor stuff doesn't feel so fresh, if neither of them are dating anyone, they've remained so, so close if they have that realization. Like, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I don't think it's the craziest thing in the entire world. Oh my, imagine a couple reunions from now. That's what's going down. I also think Shep might be phasing out of the show. Is that crazy? No, I don't think it's crazy. I mean, you have to ask yourself, I guess, if you're him, you know, what am I getting out of this? And I think he's just progressively looking worse. So maybe he would want to gracefully bow out at the same time though. I don't know how much he cares about that because I think he just has a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. Maybe he's not, I don't know. I just think this reunion, we saw him in such a different way because of the breakup and it just felt like how much more can he take? You know, like you can't help but almost feel a little bad because everyone just rips apart his character. But then you remember he's the one responsible for all of these actions. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of think it's remarkable how he doesn't really care. Yeah. You know, like I don't think he necessarily has a false sense of his moral compass. I think he's just okay with maybe being a little bit of a shitty person. Right. He doesn't know how to control himself. And that's seriously a problem when he was in a relationship with someone who was expecting that of him. That's the thing. It's like, if you have just decided that monogamy isn't for you, marriage isn't for you, that's completely, completely fine. It's not like that's the only way to do things. It only becomes an issue when there's a disconnect with the person that you're dating. Right. So yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens with his life romantically. The other thing to talk about is Catherine and Naomi, because you know, it was, it was brief them going at it. I'm sure we'll get more of that. But I think that when Catherine says something to her to the effect of like, you bring up what the mean girls used to say to me, it was very telling because whether or not that's Naomi's fault or it's just something that's triggered within Catherine, I think it was 
one of the best explanations she's given as to why she feels a certain way towards her. Right. And that's when Leva jumped in is like, well, that's your own trigger. Like Naomi isn't doing anything wrong. I think it's kind of a mix of both. I think Naomi like isn't the warmest or nicest to her. And I think the whole Cameron situation really fucked them up. But I do agree with Leva's point in that it was probably just reminiscent of hard times in Catherine's life. And she feels like Naomi came back. She had something to say. The whole group kind of likes her. And her boyfriend was having a conversation with her, which really rubbed her the wrong way. And they're just fundamentally so different and so not on the same page. Yeah, that's kind of what I want to say to them. It's like, no hard feelings. You guys are just never going to be friends. Yeah, like just let it go. The other thing that was kind of wild was the situation between Madison and Vanita, not even because of what they were talking about specifically. Like that whole thing with the phone was bizarre because in Vanita's confessional, she had said that she handed the phone to Madison. So there was that weird back and forth. Yeah, it was bizarre. But the way that Madison was talking to her was kind of vile, didn't you think? It's like once you're not on her good side anymore, she just like, throws you in the trash and like treats you like the bottom of the barrel. It's like you can't be friends with someone that long and then turn so quickly with so much hatred. And I feel like that's always a pattern with her. I mean, even with Austin, like that was your boyfriend of so many years. And then the minute that something switches, you are willing to go not even just below the belt. Like the belt is not even in sight. Yeah. And and the thing is, I do think that Madison's probably really fun. And I think that when you're on her good side, she's great. Like that is probably one of your favorite people to be around. But I just think having a friendship with someone where you know that the drop of the hat, they can go so low. To me, there's no safety in that. And like I've said this a million times, I value safety in my friendships probably above anything else. And I don't think you can ever fully let your guard down with her because you know that it could be weaponized at any moment. Right. Like you could be next and you know that she would really go there. Like, I don't think she's able to differentiate. Like if someone's on her bad side, like there's no better part of the bad side. It's very black and white. Yeah. And you could really, really see that. I, again, I know I said this point earlier, but I really do think say what you want about Olivia. I think she handled herself really well here. Like I, I think she was having a human reaction to Madison's cruelty is the way that I viewed it. I also think she was really jealous of Madison. In this reunion or generally? It, like mostly in this reunion, really her relationship with Austin, but kind of also in general because Austin spoke about her so much. Well, I think she felt really thrown off here of like, wait a second. I thought at the very least Madison was almost your enemy and then became kind of my enemy. I thought we had a common enemy and then all of a sudden you guys are buddy, buddy. Like I think she just felt really confused by the whole thing and a little bit blindsided, mm-hmm. which I I do understand. I mean, listen, net, net, is it better for Madison and Austin to be civil? Absolutely. But if I'm Olivia, yeah, I'm a little thrown as to how we got here when the entire season, we couldn't even have a conversation talking about just us because she was always brought up in some sort of a negative capacity. Right. The other thing is that moment about Austin's sister You know, aside from obviously how emotional he got and I think how willing he was to kind of discuss that. And I know we said at the time when they were doing the move just to have cameras there to me is like a very emotional thing in one's life. But the way the rest of the cast, Andy included, reacted to that was very, very touching. It was, I was not expecting it to take that turn. It was, it was beautiful. And honestly, I felt really bad for Taylor. Because 
I don't think she wanted to talk about her sister, but it came up in that natural way. And she was already having such a hard time at this reunion dealing with Shep. I just felt like, oh, she probably was using this as an escape from what's going on. I think it was probably a combination of two things. One, it was triggering for her because of what she's going through with her sister. But also, like Austin said, she's very empathetic, specifically when it comes to him. You know, right. So to watch him cry, I think, is, is hard for her. Like, I think she sees probably the best side of Austin. And so it's so easy for her to both side with him, but also really feel for him when he's going through something hard. Right. What do you think about when they were saying that they feel Craig kind of pulled away from the guys? Um, I totally see it. I think he does think he's like the biggest star on Bravo. I think he's very involved with Paige and his life in New York with her, which by the way, I do not blame him. Like he's in a long-term serious committed relationship with someone he'll probably end up marrying. Of course, that's where his attention is going to go. And by the way, it's not like Shep and Austin have been the best friends in the world to him that he's going to stick around. Yeah, I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. I mean, listen, on one hand, I think that his relationship with Austin is really special. And I do think that's something that probably you know, needs attention and time from both of them. But there's almost something to be said for distancing yourself from the rest of the guys on this show. Meaning, I think a lot of people would look at that as maturing. I love Craig and Austin's friendship so much when it's good. But I do feel like there's a hint of the Madison LaCroix effect where once they're bad or fighting, there are no limits. And it's not like, you know, no matter what, at the end of the day, you're my brother. No, like they will fucking go there, go in deep. And it's almost more hurtful because they know things about each other and they know what buttons to push that it stings the most. And that also scares me with them. Like I want to feel the stability between them because they're so great as friends. I just don't feel that. And it's really kind of sucks. Well, to be totally honest, I mean, not to say Austin doesn't do this as well, because he certainly does specifically with Madison, but I feel like Craig, you know, when his buttons get pushed, it's all bets are off in a way that's almost similar to Madison. I don't know if it's as bad as Madison, but again, I'm not trying to say that they're unequal opponents. Like I totally think Austin goes there as well, but there's something about Craig when he's mad that is big Madison LaCroix energy. Right. And Austin just has to fight back and he stoops as low as Craig goes or else who, how could he fight? I mean, it's crazy. I feel like we go through this cycle constantly. I don't know if anyone else feels this way while watching or if it's just an experience we're having, which if it's only me, then I guess I'd be a little bit embarrassed. But like when you go back to Summer House, for example, that episode with Austin and Lindsay and Sarah and that whole thing, I was so mad at him. Like I genuinely could not believe this guy is real. I was like, you know, he's such a fuck boy, da, da, da. And it's not like that side went away, but I swear I was watching this part of the reunion and I was like, I think there's a really good guy in there and I think he can do it. Like I I just find myself, even though I've come down so hard on him in the past, I do find myself consistently rooting for him on some level. No, I do too. It's really hard because I feel like every show and even episode to episode, I'm seeing a different person. And it's like hard because then when he's being such an asshole, the rest goes out the window. But then when he's being so sweet, I'm like, oh my God, he's such a great guy. I know. I think that he's really influenced by his surroundings and he's very deeply immature. But I think that Austin, I'll put it like this. I think Austin in five years is probably going to be in a much better spot than a Shep in five years. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention from this part? No, I had so much fun when they're talking about comparing their dicks and who's going to sleep together. Like that is... That is what you don't get from a housewives reunion. And it is feeding my soul. 
Yeah, it's true. And when, when Craig was like, I guess we're going to go all hang out with our exes. Like that's kind of what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. Yeah. When it's Craig was so talking fun. about sexting and Andy's like to Naomi, have you been on the receiving end? And she's like, what'd she say? No comment. <laughs> or she just gave like an yeah. amazing look. It's like, I know. it's so fun. I know, I know. I love that. Okay, well, this is now going at the end of the regular episode. So I'll do another sign off here. So Julie and I will be back on Thursday for Kardashians. Mina's Bell will be back on Friday for Bravo. And I think that's all. We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Potomac premiere. Oh, cannot wait to discuss that. 